In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're introduced to a woman by the name of Hannah. Um, if you don't know that story, I'll just tell you briefly. There's a woman there that wants to have a baby, desperately wants to have a baby, but cannot have a baby. Her, her body simply will not conceive a baby. She is, of course, part of a religiously observant family. You would see in the first few verses of that, of that, those verses, uh, or that chapter rather, that her and her husband, Elkanah, they would go to Shiloh on a regular basis, on an annual basis, and they would offer sacrifices. Uh, we're not told what all the different sacrifices that they're offering, but if they are like a good religious Jewish family, they would have offered probably the whole range of the five offerings that we're talking about in the book of Leviticus. Uh, they would have probably, it goes without saying almost, they would have definitely offered a burnt offering. They would have probably brought some of the grain offering. They would have likely brought the sin and the reparation offering. But the one offering that is mentioned in this passage is the peace offering, which is what we're going to talk about in Leviticus chapter 3. It's a peace offering. They offer this. In fact, if you will go to with me just here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, look at verse 4. It says that when it's time that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penua his wife and to her sons and her daughters portions. This portions that he's talking about, he's talking about here is in the peace offering, they would offer the animal to the Lord as an offering. The Lord would get a portion. It was the fat that was burnt up to the, to the Lord. But then what was left was essentially divided between the priest and the family. And the portions that are talked about here is that Elkanah would come home with these portions of the meat that was left from that sacrifice and he would share it with his family. And it says in verse four that part of his family got some of the portions, but verse five, Hannah, he gave a worthy portion. So he kind of picked out the best of what was left to make sure she got that piece of it and says that he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So she gets a portion of this peace offering. And then in verse 11, go down to verse 11. She, remember, she wants this baby, so she vows a vow and says to the Lord, she says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. She makes a vow. In so many words, she makes a vow. She says, God, I want a baby so bad that if you'll give me a baby, I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back to you. That's what she's saying there. Now, what happens in verse 19, you skip all the way down and God answers his prayer. They rose up in the morning and early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah and Elkanah knew his wife, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. That phrase simply means that he heard her prayer and he's answering her prayer because in verse 20, wherefore it came to pass and when time was come about about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. She vows a vow, and God answers her prayer. And look what Hannah does in verse 24. And when she had weaned him, the, the, the little boy Samuel, he's now grown up enough to, to be, be able to, to, to be weaned off of his mother. He says, and she took him up with her and three bullocks, and one ephah flower and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the Lord of the house in Shiloh and, and the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. Now what's happening here with all these animals and this flower 
she's taking her sacrifices up to the tabernacle. That's what she's doing. And those bulls that are bullocks or bulls that are mentioned there, she's offering at least one of them. There's three that are mentioned, at least one of them. It's possible all three. I don't know the details. The Bible's not making it clear. But at least one of those bulls would have been offered as a peace offering. Meaning she's saying, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. And one of the appropriate ways of using the peace offering was acknowledging, God, I've made a vow and you have followed through on your part of, the, of that promise. That was an appropriate thing. So she was doing that. So at least one of those is, is a peace offering. I, I won't read it for the sake of time, but if you were to look in chapter two, verses one through 10, she continues her worship which, by the way, would have been part of a peace offering as well, where you are just giving thanks to God. And she gives this whole song that she gives to God. The thing I want you to see from, from Hannah, first of all, is this peace offering in action. I want you to see it was actually done how it was done. But let me summarize for you. First of all, the peace offering is completely optional. It was not required of anybody. It was never required, but there were three ways that they would use it. One is a vow, because I need, I got an answer to prayer, and you answer my prayer, so I want to give a peace offering saying thank you for answering my prayer. You saw that with Hannah. There's a thanksgiving offering. There's somebody who's in a dire need. That's what they call the thanksgiving. I've got a dire need. I need something. I need something from the Lord, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this peace offering and have a conversation with God about it. And Hannah's doing that as well. She goes to the tabernacle, and she's praying in, the, in chapter one. And then there's what's called a free will offering. No reason, just cause. I just love God so much. I want to praise him. I'm going to bring him a free will offering. And that's something else that you can see. I believe that's what Elkanah is doing on a regular basis. He's not necessarily going to, to give God thanks for one thing or another. It's just, God, you're so good. We're going to praise you for that. All three of these, I believe, are seen in chapters one and two of 1 Samuel. And as a result of them giving this, what I hope you see, and I, I probably went too fast to give, give you the, the picture of it, but I hope you will see in this that not only are they giving these offerings, but as a result, they are enjoying fellowship with God. I mean, th this is what's happening. Here's a woman who has a need. She takes it to God. God answers her prayer. And as a result, she praises him. And there's this cycle of praise and worship that continues on because they have real fellowship with God. So every year they would offer this because God is good. Hannah offers the Thanksgiving offering when she wants a son. And then she gives the vow offering when she is, has her answered prayer. All three cases, and this is how the peace offering, by the way, they're not doing anything unusual. This is exactly how it is prescribed to be used in the Levitical law. Every time it's used, it is done to celebrate peace with God. Now, this word peace, it's not to bring about peace. <laughs> Y'all know from the old cowboy movies, you know, you've got to pass around the peace pipe, you know what I'm talking about. Why do you do that? To show that you're going to have some peace, right? Y'all act like you ain't never seen television today. And you're like, y'all quit lying to me. You know what you're talking. You know what I'm talking about. They pass around that peace pipe. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to create peace. They're trying to get some peace. That's not why you do this peace offering with the Lord. The reason you do the peace offering is because you're celebrating, you're enjoying peace that you already have. This is about relishing in, enjoying the peace that we have with God. 
So now in Leviticus chapter 3, we'll just turn over there. We'll reference a few verses as we go through this. Uh, I won't read the whole chapter. Uh, it's a little bit repetitive because it's prescribing how the law takes place, but we'll reference some of this. But in Leviticus chapter 3, there's also some portions of chapter 7, which I'll reference for you, but we won't turn to. They all give the procedures of participating in this celebration of peace. Because when it's done correctly, when, and that's why God in his, in his divine wisdom gives us these directions. Because when it's done correctly, it reminds us of the beauty of what we have in the Lord. It reminds us of what we have. And as Christians, we are not, we are not observant Jews who are, are under the law of God. We are Christians who follow Jesus. Because of that, we actually can look back at this and see, wow, look at what we have. Because there's a picture here trying to show you this, there's a picture here of what we have in Jesus that we get to celebrate the peace that we have with God as well. And we don't have to offer animals to do that because Jesus has been once offered for all of us. So for this offering, the first thing I want you to notice is there's a perfect sacrifice that's offered. If you go with me to verse one, you'll see that it says that the, his oblation or the offering be a sacrifice of peace offering. So he's saying, if what you're about to do is a peace offering, if he offered of the herd, so that's the cattle, whether it be male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Now, if you'll remember the conversation we had a few weeks ago about the burnt offering, you'll remember that he said that that had to be without blemish as well. Uh, the one difference here, while it's very similar to the burnt offering in that it can be several different kinds of animals, uh, but the one thing is it had to be without blemish. Uh, this one could be a male or a female, the burnt offering it only had to be a male, but nonetheless it had to be without blemish. It also, and by the way, I, I should point out to you, if, if you really want to pay attention closely to this, that there are three different kinds of animals that can be offered. Uh, here we've got the herd in uh, verse, um, verse 6. You've got the, um, if you, sorry, the flock, so it's sheep that are offered there. And then all the way down to verse 12, you see that there are goats that are offered. Uh, the, the descriptions are very similar. What they have to do to them is exactly the same. He's just essentially saying there are three kinds of animals that you can present as this offering. But the bigger point is that this offering had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. And I want you to see one other thing in, um, in verse, uh, verse 2. And he says, so that you bring that animal that's without blemish. You have to lay his hand upon the head of the offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then his sons would sprinkle the blood on the altar. I want you to see this. First of all, there's this animal who is without blemish. It is representing the fact that it is without sin, without any, any kind of anything wrong within it. And then what I have to do as the worshiper is I have to put my hand on it. You'll remember this from the burnt offering where I have to lean on that and say that animal is going in my place. That I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not worthy. That animal is going to be the one without blemish in my place. Ultimately putting, pointing towards that one who was the perfect lamb who would be slain. And that perfect lamb would be that hand on it. My hand is on Jesus Christ to say he is in my place. He is the one who's going to be in my place. So before there could be any fellowship, there has to be atonement. And that atonement is offered through that perfect lamb. 
And then in this offering, there's pure blood that is being sprinkled. I already sort of alluded to it at the end of verse 2. It says the priests are going to sprinkle the blood around the altar uh, round about. One thing that struck me as I'm reading this is, as best as I can tell, like later on I'll bring this up again, but there's a prohibition. They're not allowed to eat the blood or the fat, but the blood of that lamb or, or animal, whatever the animal happens to be. They're not allowed to eat that. So as best as I can tell, I don't know what else they're doing with this blood, but as best as I can tell, they're taking all that blood and sprinkling it on this altar. I haven't butchered that many animals in my life, but I can just tell you, that's a whole lot of blood all over the place. The point of that is that, that blood is being sprinkled everywhere, and this is a, and while, while that doesn't sound very pure, if I have blood everywhere, I feel like I need to clean something up, it was a symbol of purifying that altar. And this would be going on on and on throughout the tabernacle. But ultimately what this is, what's happening is this blood is on the altar to make it ready so that God's sacrifice, what would be God's portion of the sacrifice would be ready for, for him. By the way, this is what happens to you and me, to our hearts before we can ever have fellowship with God. There has to be a lamb slain, the Jesus Christ, the one who atoned for my sins, but now his blood has to be sprinkled on my heart. This is the way that the writer of Hebrews says it. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'd like to have fellowship with the Lord. Wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like to have communion with him? Wouldn't you like to be in his presence and hear from him and have him hear from you? Wouldn't you like that? I, I, even if y'all don't, I do. I really want that. That's what I want. But for that to happen, I have to have a lamb slain for me. I have to be completely covered in blood. Not my blood, definitely not my, my nasty old blood but the perfect blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. That's what I had to happen. So this offering puts the purest of blood sprinkled on that altar. And then the next thing is for this offering, the very best is offered up to God. I alluded to this. If you actually want to go to the end of the chapter in verses 16 and 17, you'll see that there's two prohibitions that are given in this chapter. In verse 16, it says, the priest shall burn them on the altar and his food for the offering made by fire. All the fat is the Lord's. That's the first prohibition. Y'all ain't supposed to eat fat. We're not supposed to eat fat. It's supposed to be given to God. That's what it says. And then he says, it shall be a perpetual, a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. He says, there's two things you're not supposed to eat. He says, you're not supposed to eat blood because in a later place in chapter 17 in verse 14 of Leviticus, he says life is in the blood. That life, that blood represents what he is doing. It's Jesus's blood, essentially, whether they would know it that way or not. That's what it's representing. So we're not supposed to eat that. Instead, it's going to be sprinkled on the altar, as we said. And he also says the fat is the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. We're not talking about the blood right now because we already talked about that sprinkled on the altar, but uh, let me zero in on the fat for just a moment. In, this, in the, the Old Testament, in the Levitical law, the fat would represent the best of the animal. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not so much about eating a big old chunk of fat, although I don't mind a little fat, I must say. Don't get me wrong. But I ain't about to eat a big old chunk of fat. Let's give me some fat back, right? 
crowd would be too bad. But, uh, but anyway, the point is, I don't think that you and I might necessarily see, oh, the facts the best part. It doesn't matter what you and I see, because it's not written about me and you. It's written about the Old Testament, the, the Israelite nation at that time. And it would have been perceived that the fat of the animal, and you'll see if you read the details of this of this chapter three, it's 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 the fat that's in between the organs, and it's the it's the fat of the kidneys, and there's a part of the liver that they cut off that's all considered to be the best of the best, the best cut. What you and I might today call the filet mignon of the of the of the, of the animal, that's what they would have said. The fat would have been that. That's how they would have represented that. And all of those parts are then, if you go just to show you in one of the cases, it's repeated multiple times, but in verse 5, go to chapter 3 and verse 5, the Aaron, this is the priest, and his sons, they'll burn it on the altar with the burnt offering, upon the burnt offering. So what's going to happen is they would take all that fat out of that animal, the specific places they get it, and it would be put on top of the burnt offering. Now, remember, there's a burnt offering. There's another offering that's being offered. That was an offering that was offered for atonement. That burnt offering was already burning on the altar. This fat would be put on top of it. Some writers say that it might have been kind of to help the burning go along because fat burns pretty good. So that might have been part of it. But nonetheless, that was put on top of that fire so that, that all that fat would be consumed on the fire and it was essentially talked about as God's portion of the of the of this um, of this sacrifice. All of that simply to make sure you hear me say this that in the offering, not my offering, because I can't bring anything worth with offering, but the offering that was offered in my place, Jesus Christ, he was the very best. And he was offered up, consumed by the wrath of God. He was consumed by that fire. John 3.16 says that he was the only begotten son. That puts him at the top of the list as somebody that's special, something important. Uh, Isaiah 53.10 said that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Says that it was it was the right thing. It was exactly what was needed. At First John chapter two verse two says that Jesus is the propitiation for my sin. He's the one who stood in my place, and he was satisfactory. He was the one that was the best. Nobody in this world could have ever been the best. He was, if I can use the language of Leviticus here, he was the fat of the animal. He was the Lord's. He was the exactly the right thing. He was the best cut. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. All that's to say that the very best has been given to God. That, that's what the point of Leviticus chapter 3 is that it says cut out the fat. So I want to make sure that God gets that. But now when God gets that in this offering, God is pleased. God is satisfied with that. If you go with me to verse 5, it says that when the, they're burning it on the altar upon the wood that is on the fire, it says it's an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. You'll remember that from chapter 1. We had the burnt offering when they burnt that, that sacrifice on there. It was a sweet savor to the Lord, saying that God, when he smelled it, he liked it. It was good. It said to him that everything is, everything is satisfactory. It pleases him. He accepted Christ's sacrifice, the burnt offering. And this now, because he's accepted that burnt offering, now this is a 
praise offering. It is a it, 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 it is a peace offering, celebrating the peace that we have with him. So that means that not only is he happy with it, but I would dare say, and I think I'm right on this, that he's even happier with this than he was with the burnt offering smell. Because this means that we already have a, the burnt offering gives us access in. We already have a relationship with God because of that burnt offering. Because, let me put it in Christian terms. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He saved you. You're already accepted. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's done. There's nothing more to be added. But now when we have Jesus is continually being offered in a spiritual sense. And now because he knows me and he loves me. And when I come to him again, celebrating the peace that I have with him, he says, I'm even happier with you. His deeper and better love. Let me put it to you this way. The way that Paul writes in Romans chapter five, he says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his, by the death of his son. Did you know that? That when you were a sinner, he died for you. When you were at your worst, he died for you. He says, if that was the case, much more than being reconciled, we're already back in good relationship with him. We shall be saved by his life. Because of Jesus, not only am I, not, I don't know if y'all get the picture here, but not only do I not get hell, not only do I not get damnation, and not only do I actually get to enter into God's presence without being completely destroyed, but I actually get presence with him. Uh, uh, I get an audience with him. I get to talk to him, and he is happy to see me when I come into his presence. My mama likes me. Nobody else in this world likes me, but my mama likes me. And I don't call her near enough, and I don't go and see her near enough, but man, my mama loves me. And I can promise you that if y'all go by and see my mama, she'll be nice to you, she'll be kind to you. But let me tell you, Matthew Tilly pulls up in mama's driveway, she is going to be happy with me. I might have been as mean as they ever come, Whenever, up to that point, the minute I walk into that door, she's happy with me. My mom loves me. Now, y'all might sit there and say, well, I'm, of course you're not happy with me. Well, maybe that's a course, but let me just tell you, my mom loves me. I'm using that as an example to say, your God loves you even more than your mom loves you. Amen. He is excited to see you. He wants to hear from you. And I, I don't mean that I'm not trying to put God down. I'm not trying to put God down on some level. I just want you to understand that there's a God in heaven because you have been reconciled through that burnt offering of Jesus Christ. That when you come into his presence with singing, when you come into his courts with praise, when you come to him to bless his name, he is excited to see you. Zephaniah, the prophet, writes this in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The Lord God in heaven sings over his people. He is happy over you. He likes you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to see you. He wants to, you to be in his presence. And one more thing that happens in this offering is not only is God pleased and not only is all those offerings offered the right way, but the worshiper is invited into this one. 
It's the only offering. None of the other offerings is the worshiper given food to eat. The burnt offering completely consumed on the altar. Even the, the, the grain offering, the one we talked about, the dedication offering. Yeah, there's some that's let, set aside, but it's given to the priest. It's not given to the, the worshiper. In this case, there's some of that meat that is presented because there are three parties to this covenant that's represented here. There's three parties. There's God, there's the priest, and then there's the worshiper. And this is a, this is a covenant meal. This is essentially what would have happened in the, in the ancient world where they would have gathered around to, to acknowledge that we've just made an agreement with each other and we're on the same page and we're happy with what we've done. You might today go and sign a contract because we, just, we do that in our modern culture. We don't even do handshakes anymore. We sign contracts, right? That's just the way we do things. That's the way we do business. Back in that day, the way they'd have done business is we'd got an agreement on that, we'd sit at the table, and we'd enjoy a meal together. That's exactly what this, this offering is. It's simply a meal with those covenant participants. And this is possible because God has made a covenant with his people. One other way to think about this is this is not just a meal. I, I, I had to go... I had to go travel for work this past week, and some of y'all know that. And every night, I went to dinner with different people. That's, what I had to, that's part of what I had to do, go to dinner with people. And they're nice people. I enjoy spending time with them. They're good people. But let me tell you, it's a different feeling eating the nicest of nice food with people like that that you work with than coming home and sitting at my table off of Highway, highway 16 and my, my wife and my son are there. We might be eating little of nothing, but it's with people I like to be with. That's a whole different ballgame. And add to that on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day when we get together with my family, my extended family. Oh, my goodness. That's a different kind of game than with I'm sitting with some people that I do some work with every now and again. It's a different kind of experience. That's what's going on here is this is the family table. We're invited to the family table. That's what's being done. Let me put it to you this way. Let me get this across to you. You have been invited to fellowship with God, not because of anything that you have done. He's provided the plan. He provided the lamb. He's satisfied with the offering by himself. And now what he's doing is he's inviting you to that meal. He's made it all possible. Again, my mama, I remember back in the day when I was growing up, she did all this cooking, did all this work, and she invited me. I didn't have to do a thing. I just had to sit out at the table and eat it. That's what you get to. God has provided it all, and now he's saying sit out at the table and enjoy it. Pull up a chair and enjoy this. With all that said, I think the, the best exhortation I can give you is I think it's time to enjoy fellowship with God. Why is it that Christians are some of the most sour people world. They're mean. They are. Not, not y'all, of course. <laughs> not y'all at all. But seriously, don't y'all, y'all don't have to agree with me. I believe that some of the meanest people I know, maybe this is not around a lot of church people, but the meanest people I know are church people. And they're the people that should be the most rejoicing and the most joyful because we get to fellowship with God. But some of us act like we ain't got any friends. We don't like nobody. 
But God wants to fellowship with you. What is wrong with us? And I put myself right there with you because I can bellyache with the best of them. We do. We all do. But we've got God. The bill's been paid for. Jesus paid it all. Remember that? The bill's been paid for. You, ain't gotta, you don't have to bring a dish to this one. It's already table's been set. You're welcomed at the table. Not as a special guest, which is nice. You need to be the special invited guest. That's wonderful. But you're not invited as a special guest. You're invited to God's Thanksgiving table. You're invited to the table like when you're family and you're, you get back to where you've always been and you're welcome and you know the place. You know where all the nooks and crannies are. You know everything. That's the kind of table you've been invited to. You've been invited to that. It is time to not be an invited guest but to be a family member around that table. And when you're around that family table and if you have a good relationship, I know a lot of everybody's got a good relationship with their family, and I hate that for you, but if you've got a good relationship with your family, you're around that dinner table, you can have a conversation with somebody and say, I need some help. I, I, I'm so happy that you've done this for me. You can have the, those. Are, those are natural conversations around a good family table. That's what we're invited to. So it's time to enjoy our fellowship with the Lord, folks. It's time to consume what God has given to us, his word. Take it into us, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's time to enjoy that meal. It's time to take part in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says an unusual thing in John chapter six where he says that you need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's such an unusual, it was weird for them to hear and it's weird for me to say it to you now, but there's got to be a point where y'all see Jesus as someone who satisfies your soul. Not as just a thing we talk about or maybe something somebody needs to believe in, but somebody who makes a difference in who you are. He changes you from the inside out. Be satisfied and filled with him. It's time to commune and converse with the Lord. I'm convicted of this this past week. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and some other things. And, and, and I just want to acknowledge that there's a, I can't speak for y'all, but I can speak for myself. There's just a, so many things that distract me and get my attention. There's so many things. There's always something to pull up my mind and pull up my eyes and pull up my ears but some, at some point, we have got to enjoy this fellowship that has been provided, this meal that's been provided. And we've got to still our souls long enough and quiet the distractions long enough to just spend a minute and talk to him. Ask him whatever's on your mind. I'm not even going to tell you what to say. It's whatever you want to talk to your father about, you talk to him. But also, maybe shut up a little bit and listen to him. Let him talk to you. And just commune with the father. Enjoy being in his presence. But that's going to require that we got to, just like we call Jude to the table all the time. Hey, James, time to eat. Inevitably. One minute, got something else he's doing. One minute, got one more, just five more minutes doing this game or whatever, whatever he's doing. One more thing, and I'm picking on Jude, but don't y'all do the same thing to the Lord? I know I need to pray, but one more minute, I got something else I got to do. I know I need to read the scripture. One more minute, I got something else I got to do. But the table's been set, the bill's been paid, and God's sitting there ready to sing over you. And we're sitting there saying, God, something else I got to do. And what we've got to do is we've got to quiet our souls and quiet the distractions and go to him with our troubles and our worries and talk to him and realize that he is the one who will answer our needs. Just like he did for Hannah. 
Praise him when everything's good. Goad him when things are bad. Thank him when he answers your prayers. It's time to enjoy his fellowship. I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to invite you to commit to enjoying the fellowship that Jesus has, has secured for you. To enter in, to take part and praise him. We're going to listen to some music played and I'm going to pray here. But my hope is that you will make a commitment this morning. Best as you know how to enjoy the fellowship that God has provided through that lamb that was slain. Will you do that? Lord, I'm asking you to, to, to move this emotion in the people's hearts to help them to feel what I'm trying to communicate to them more what you have tried to what you have provided for us. Not tried, you've done it. Please help us to enjoy this. Help us to enter in, to come to you in our time of need, to come to you in our time of happiness. Help us to come to you and enjoy being in your presence. Father, forgive us, and I pray that there will be some who come and ask you to forgive them for taking more time with the distractions of this world than they do with the Savior who died for them. I pray that you will convict them to come and respond in that way. And I pray that you'll do this in your, Savior, in your Son's name, Jesus Christ.